Hey, this is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Amen. Would you please go with me to the book of Numbers? We are concluding this sermon series, Numbers, the preparation for the promise. I'm kind of disappointed that it's ending, but I think it's time to let's, let's wrap it up and let's close it out. Numbers chapter 27 I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. The verses should be on your screen. I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. I love to hear them babies. If you think they're distracting me, you need to think again. That's precious to me. Them babies are precious. They're fixing to hear the word of God. I'm going to read this. It's kind of lengthy, but I want to read it to you so we know what's going on. Beginning in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain of Abram and see the land which I've given to the sons of Israel. When you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as Aaron and your brother, Aaron and your brother was. For in the wilderness of Zin, <clears throat> excuse me, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. Remember, we talked about that several weeks back. The people were frustrated and grumbling, and God gave Moses clear direction. Get the people together. You look at the rock over there. You speak to the rock, and out of the water will flow water. Moses took matters into his own hands. He took the staff. He went and struck the rock. He tried to do it the same way he had done before. Sometimes things need to be a little different. He tried to do it the same way, and it cost him Essentially, the promised land. He didn't get in or in. And so now, to be gathered up means he's going to die. God said, go up to the top of the mountain. You get to see what, all, uh, what, what I promised you. You get to see what the, the children of Israel are about to enter into. And then you're going to join your brother Aaron, and you're going to die. Verse 15 picks up. Then Moses said to the Lord, saying, now listen, this is the heart. This is a, a, a deep heart. I picked on Moses a little bit last week. And I told you that as a leader, I have a hard time understanding what Moses went through. To know that Moses had got them to this point. He had come so far, but yet he don't get to go in. But he's just been told, you're going to go up to the mountain, you're going to see everything that would have been, then you're going to die. And Moses' response, Moses was a hothead, remember? Moses had a temper. When the people grumbled rather than listen to God, he went, he said, you rebels, don't you believe God? But his spirit is shifted and he said, in verse 16, may the Lord of God, may the Lord God of the, the spirits and all flesh appoint a man over the congregation who will go out 
and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in. So the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. It's a very selfless statement. Rather than begging for his life, rather than, than taking uh, his own punishment, rather than taking his own destiny in, he looks at, at the people of Israel and he says, God, appoint a man, somebody so that they won't be lost. You're going to take me? I accept that. That's fine. But appoint somebody so that they won't be without, like a sheep without a shepherd. So in verse 18, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eleazar, the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar, the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out. At his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him, and he commissioned him just as the Lord has spoken through Moses. I think that we have to really kind of step back. I, I thought through this. You'll have to excuse me. I don't know if I preached or sang or my throat's just dry, but it's my second bottle of water since I watched walked in the tower in the sanctuary. You look back over Moses' life and, and I kind of reflect back through and I've thought through this this week. Moses was born into a Hebrew family. He was born in the kingdom of Egypt to a Hebrew mama who loved him, who cared about him. And because of the punishments of the king and the prophecies, this mama took Moses and she put him in a basket. And we've, we've talked about this. She put him in a basket and she wrapped that basket with tar and she put him in the river. So now here at just a few years old, Moses finds himself, uh, a few months older, the baby finds himself as an abandoned child. It don't matter why, it don't matter how he got there, it don't matter that it was for his best interest, the fact is he's abandoned. And now, by the will of God, the king's daughter shows up to take a bath in the river and she sees the basket all floating over in the distance and she goes and gets the basket. She said, well, I'm gonna take this baby and I'm gonna raise him. Problem was, she want a mama. So she tells her maidservant, hey, and go and find me a Hebrew mother that's just recently given birth that can nurse this baby and keep this baby till he's a little older. God's got a way of doing things because now from abandonment, the, the baby now is back in the arms of his mama. And the one that the servant finds is Moses' mother to take care of him and nurse him and raise him for the next little while. And then Moses, who was born a Hebrew, gone through abandonment, now finds himself back in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, and he's been raised in the palace. Just in this short stretch of his childhood, can you imagine what he's gone through? Now he 
life being raised in the palace. He looks different. He talks different. He realizes there has to be some place he realizes he don't really fit where he's at. But he's there. And then one day he goes out and he's hanging out. He realizes I'm not actually supposed to be here. And these are not really my people. The Hebrew people are my people. So he goes out to visit one day and he finds an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of the slaves. And so he takes matters into his own hands and he kills that Egyptian. Thank you, sir. He kills the, the Egyptian and he thinks he's really done something. You're not going to beat my people the way you're beating my people. So he shows back up the next day and there's a Hebrew beating a Hebrew. And I, Moses, we see throughout this part of his life is I, I, I rub my head when I get frustrated. So if you see me do that, now you know my secret and you can take note. I was in a class this past week and I started rubbing my head. It was online, a Zoom class. And the teacher said, see, when I see students do what Mitchell just did, it concerns me. I was like, what did I just do? She said, when you rub your head like that, I know there's confusion and frustration and you're aggravated. That's great. She just found me out. I smiled real big. We moved on. I was very frustrated and aggravated. I can see Moses. I, we just did this yesterday. And I just killed and hid the Egyptian that was beating you yesterday. And now I'm back and you're beating each other up. What's your problem? And, the, and his own people turn on him. And who do you think you are that you get to come in here and tell us how to live our life and how to do what's what and what's not? And they go and tattle. And now it's found out that Moses killed an Egyptian man. And now Moses finds himself again retreating for his life running for his life and he stays gone out of from from the palace remember where he's being raised now he's been cast out and he's tending sheep and it's there while he's tending sheep that god gives him this call this vision he sees the burning bush and god gives him a, a vision he gives him a passion to lead a group of people out of slavery. And I, I just thought through some of this and tried to put myself in Moses' shoes. I believe that Moses' life has been this roller coaster. You see that with me? Had to have been. Normal kid, born into slavery, abandoned by mama, found by the king's daughter, now being raised in the palace, now being known that he's a murderer, so now he's been kicked back out, running for his life, and now he's the one God chose to deliver his chosen people. God's got an interesting way of handling things, right? Of all the people for God to have chosen, for me to stand here thousands and thousands and thousands of years later to preach about, it's that guy. The guy who's been through it all. And he makes the journey, and we've walked through this journey together. 
We've walked through Exodus and Numbers and we've walked through this journey of the people making it out of Egypt and, and it took them forever and the disobedience when, when he sent the spies out. He wanted a vision. He needed the people to see there really is something to what God's telling me. So he sends out the spies and when they come back, we've talked about it, they, they, they don't see it. There's not enough courage within them to go forward and conquer. And so what do they do? Those few loudmouth people turned a whole million group of people against Moses and say, we can't take that land. Do you realize the, the ratio there? He sent 12 spies. Two of them were Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua said, we can do this. I say, we go now at once and conquer the land. The other 10 guys turned the entire congregation that's a huge congregation. We already went through the, the census and we said there's 625,000, 600,000 plus fighting age men. If there's 600,000 plus fighting age men, there's at least a million plus people in this congregation. You talk about a church. 10 men. And their loudmouth negativity changed a million plus as people opinion, and toward on their faith in God. It's the power of negativity. That's scary. That has nothing to do with my sermon, but that just was like, thank you, Holy Spirit. That's strong. If 10 can change the hearts of, of around 1.2 million people, what in the world can you and I do with our negativity to one person? I believe we can destroy somebody's life in a moment if we're not careful. We move past, so we're talking about Moses. And I told you that I, I believe the expectation did not match up with what the reality was. I don't know what Moses thought. I don't know that he thought it was going to be this easy piece of cake journey. If he thought that, he's kind of crazy because nothing in his life has been easy and piece of cake. But God said, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. They're going to go out. I've got a promised land for you. I'm taking you to the land of Canaan. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be luscious. It's going to be great for you. And over and over and over through this course of 40 years, Moses finds himself going back to God because God has got to provide for this group of people. And now the one thing he's pushed for, I finally made it, I'm going to get the people there. An act of disobedience has cost him everything. And so now he stands before God and God said, go up to the Mount of Abram and look out and see. And I just try to put myself, that's the way I have to read the Bible. As I try to place myself in Moses' shoes at this point. Imagine what he's processing. At this point, he gets to see, first of all. For 40 years, I've wandered and I've fought through a wilderness for these people, trying to prove the faithfulness of God to them. And this is what they're about to inherit but not me. That's strong. But somehow Moses still, even in the middle of that, says, God, 
I accept who I am and what I've done. Give these people a man to lead them into where they're supposed to go. So God says, Joshua. I want us to look at Joshua just for a couple minutes. God is doing what he's got to do and he's cleaning up to make the final preparations to get them to the promise. I believe there's four traits about Joshua that we can take note of. First of all, Joshua was chosen. Whenever Moses was choosing the the 12 tribes, the 12 spies, one from each tribe to send in to spy out the land. Joshua was one of the 12. Not only was he one of the 12, but if you read back in chapter 13 of Numbers, he was actually one that Moses said, your name will no longer be Hosea. Instead, it's going to be Joshua. There was a reason. There was something special. There was something that Moses saw in Joshua, and Joshua was chosen. I'll just be open and transparent. And I told you last week that uh, Sister Melissa, when I walked through the foyer, she spoke into my life and she didn't even realize what she was speaking in that moment. I've had to be reminded over and over and over through this pandemic and through this situation that we walked through and then this crazy uproar of everything else taking place. I've had to be reminded God knew what was coming. I've been chosen to live through this season. I don't really understand why. It doesn't really make sense. I've been chosen. I've been chosen to raise my two babies. God chose me to do that. I didn't by happen chance get them two youngins. God chose me. He's appointed me as a father to be a father to them. He's chosen me to be Micah's husband. He's chosen me to be a leader. He's chosen me to be a shepherd. And maybe it's just me and maybe I'm the only one that battles through that. I have to be reminded often that I'm chosen, I'm appointed, and I'm set apart to do what it is God's called me to do. I don't believe I'm the only one though. I believe mamas, when you're at your wit's end and you don't really understand and you're just ready to throw up your hands, you need to be told you're chosen to be that baby's mama. Husbands, when you're aggravated with your wives and things ain't the way they're supposed to be and you're like, I'm done with this, this is hard. You need to be told, husband, you're chosen to be the husband to that wife, to be the lover for that wife. You're chosen to love her as Christ loved the church. I believe that we as men need to be told, you, man of God, are chosen to be man. It's clear, it's defined, it's not optional. You were chosen to be a man to stand and take a male's role, not only in the home, not only in society, but in the kingdom of God. You, man of God, are chosen to be a man. You're chosen. Joshua was chosen. And I believe that every one of us need to know we're chosen. Maybe not to lead a million plus people into a promised land of God after they've wandered for for 40 years. Maybe it is as simple as you're chosen to be the difference in the workplace. Maybe it is that you're chosen to be the one that puts a smile on your face and puts a smile on the people around you when everybody else looks, looks this sour face. Maybe you're the one that's just chosen to do something as simple as that, but you're chosen. Joshua was chosen. Not only was Joshua chosen, Joshua was spirit-filled. 
How do you know that? How does that even make sense? Jesus hadn't sent the Holy Spirit till Acts chapter 2. This is way beyond that. Way, 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 way before that. Well, it's pretty simple. Verse 18 tells me Joshua was spirit-filled. He said, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, with a capital S. A man in whom is the spirit. The New Living Translation said, a man who has the spirit in him. We're talking about the spirit of God. We're talking about God himself in spirit form being in Joshua. What difference does that make? Well, I really don't know how Joshua's gonna make decisions that need to be made for this one million plus group of people to follow the direction of God if, if Joshua himself is not filled with God. There's no way you can make decisions that need to be made in your life according to the will of God if you are not filled with God. Joshua is spirit-filled. There's a reason that it's in the Word. The Spirit of God is dwelling within him. Prior to Jesus ever even showing up on the scene in man form, Joshua is full of the Spirit. There's a power that comes when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Acts chapter 1 tells us that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. There's a peace about the Holy Spirit that goes beyond anything that, that could ever be understood. And so I, I've, I've learned that to make it through situations, to make it through struggles, to make it through trials, to make it through sickness, to make it through health, to make it through battles, to make it through victories, to make it through losses, on this journey to get to to, for the preparation to get to the promise, we need the power of the Holy Spirit and we need the peace of the Holy Spirit over our life. Joshua was spirit-filled. Not only was Joshua chosen, not only was he spirit-filled, Joshua had faith. I know Joshua had faith by going back to chapter 13. I just told you that 12 tribes, 12 spies were chosen, one from each tribe. They were chosen to go into the land. And these guys saw the exact same thing. They saw the same fruit that took two men to carry the cluster of grapes. They saw the, the milk and honey flowing. They saw the, the, the people that were there that could be overtaken, the land. They saw the, the, the cities that could be uh, inhabited. They see the exact same thing. 10 of them say, there's no way anybody that enters that land are gonna die. The other two guys, Caleb and Joshua, you read in they on into chapter 13 just a little bit. It talks about Caleb to start with. You find out that Joshua and Caleb together were the ones going to be stoned. I know Joshua had faith. He might not have had a loud voice to cry it out, but he had faith in believing if we take this, if we do what God's called us to do, it's going to be ours. He had faith. And sometimes we got to have just enough faith that it doesn't matter what stands in front of us. It don't matter what everybody around us thinks. It don't matter what everybody else around us is seeing. We've got to see through a faith lens to know that if God's called me to that place, if he's called me to walk through this, then God is going to take me through. He's going to give me the victory and it's all going to be okay in the end. Joshua had faith. I believe one thing that Joshua needed though, he was chosen, he was Holy Spirit filled, 
and he had faith, but I believe he needed courage. How do you know that? We'll go to Joshua chapter 1. These guys are going to have it on the screen. I think I'd give it to them. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 says, Now it came about after Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the apostle spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, This is taking place after. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. You're the man for the job, son. It's time to saddle up and ride. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness to this, this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I've been with Moses. Excuse me, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. I believe Moses had faith to believe that. I believe he had faith to believe that. I believe he had already stood on the word of God one time, right? We just talked about it. I believe he had faith to believe what God said, but I was told this past week, I was in a meeting and it was this pastor's coach's meeting and this gentleman in our denomination that, that coaches pastors, he said, I'm under the conviction that every pastor knows what to do. They don't have the courage to do it. I believe that not only do pastors know what to do, but don't have the courage to do it. I believe that every Christian knows what to do, but they don't have the courage to do it. I believe that more times than not, every mom and dad that's doing their best, I'm talking about the mom and dads that are, uh, that are chosen, the ones that are spirit-filled, the ones that have faith. I'm talking about those mom and dads. I believe they know what to do, but often don't have the courage to do it. Faith and courage are two different things. Joshua had faith. If God spoke it, it's gonna happen. But for some reason or another, three different times, Look at verse six. Can you throw that back up there for me, please? Be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. That's twice. For some reason or another, Joshua's gotta have it pounded in his head. You, man of God, need to be courageous. That wasn't enough though. Be careful to do all according to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it, uh, the right or to the left, so that you may have a, may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but meditate it. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you again? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua needed courage. Joshua had faith. Joshua needed courage. 
And I think you and I, maybe it's at the high point of that yo-yo we talked about. You know you're chosen. You recognize, you believe in your heart. I'm telling you, you're chosen. If Christ lives within you, this Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. Maybe you've gone the extra step and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I believe that you're living this life. You can be living this life led by the Holy Spirit. You can have all the faith in the world. But if you don't have the courage to act on that faith, you're still just standing still. Joshua couldn't stand still. Joshua, his sole purpose of appointment, the whole reason he was appointed, Moses said, so that the people not be without, like sheep without a shepherd. He was chosen to lead, to move, to gather people, to, to push people, to push the people into the land God promised. If he don't have the courage to walk in the faith that God's put in his heart, he ain't going nowhere. He needed courage. And I wonder how many of us, the, that man spoke that on Monday. I thought, man, he hit that nail on the head. For people that know what to do, but don't have the courage to do it. There's a couple things that you need to see in this transaction that took place. Some things to note. First of all, I already told you that Joshua had a name change. Be careful to hear what I'm telling you. I'm going to relate some of these actions between Moses and Joshua to Jesus and you and I. Do not mishear me. Jesus was not Moses. Moses was not Jesus. Moses disobeyed God. Jesus did not. You got me? Don't mishear my heart. But there was enough of God in Moses that Moses acted in a way as a godly leader that he made some decisions that were right. And just like Moses chose in chapter 13, he chose Joshua, son of Nun, and he said, but he'll no longer be Hosea. Instead, he's going to be Joshua. God has chosen you and I. And Jesus completed the race on earth when, when he, he died and he rose again and then he come back down and he hung out for a little while. When he went back to heaven, he completed that time on earth. From that point forward, it's up to the disciples. They did a pretty, uh, pretty awesome job for 12 men to 120 men to thousands of men to change the world in a point that you and I are still sitting here over 2,000 years later talking about it, right? But if we're not careful, we're going to drop the mantle. We're going to drop it. And all the work that's taken place through the church for the last 2,000 years is going to fall. And it's going to fall because of us. Moses chose him. He said, you're no longer going to be the name that your mama gave you, but you're going to be the name that I've given you. Jesus has chosen us. You've been chosen, you've been appointed, you've been set up and set apart, and you no longer have the name that you were given. Joshua was presented before Eleazar the priest. That's important. Why is that important? Well, 
If Moses had just said, here, Joshua, take the reins, roll with it. Do what you want to do. I believe even the man of God that was spirit-filled would have fallen flat on his face had he not been presented before God. You and I must present ourselves wide open. Flaws, failures, mistakes, temptation, sin, every bit of it must be presented before God so that he can rearrange and straighten some things up and clean some things up so that then we can take our stand and be ready to walk as chosen, faithful, spirit-led people that he's called us to be. He was presented before the priest. You ain't got to be presented before me because Jesus is the great high priest. Today, we're presented before Jesus. Not only was he presented, but he was prayed over. He was commissioned in their sight. That was important. We believe, and in a couple weeks, I'm going to present some, uh, some people, some credentials, ministerial credentials. And we'll do that publicly. We'll pray over them. Because there's a reason for it. We do it together. We do it before the people. Because first of all, there's a responsibility to be upheld. And there's an agreement that needs to be had. They're commissioned before the people. And God told Moses to lay his hands on Joshua and pray over Joshua. He said, give him some of your authority so that the people of Israel will follow him the way they followed you. See, there's a couple different things going on, and I believe that if we're not careful, the Moses generation is going to leave. They're going to have seen what God promised. They're going to have witnessed it. Their time is going to have passed, but they're not going to have laid their hands on and commissioned and anointed the next people to push forward. Joshua needed some of the authority of Moses because without the authority of Moses, the last 40 years were useless. We've got to hang on to, to some history. We've got to hang on to, to, to a little bit of tradition and a little bit of the, the religious um, aspects of where we've come from so that we know this is where we've come from. Don't go back that way quite the same, but instead let that push you to move forward. We need some Moses generation people to raise up and lay their hands on some Joshua's and say, I'm commissioning you before the people publicly. I recognize God's got his hand on your life and I recognize that you're chosen to go into the next place and I, I bless you and I put you forward. I give you some of not only the physical authority with the people, but he gave him spiritual authority when he laid his hands on him and blessed him to go in. There's three prayers that have to be prayed and I'm, I'm done. Three prayers that I believe today we need to pray. We've been having a phenomenal Bible study on Wednesday nights, online, walking through Psalm 119. It's amazing how God's word speaks and is revealed in totally different ways. I believe there's three prayers that need to be prayed. As we look at this place of Joshua, Joshua had been, God had prepared him. He had seen the people grumble. He had seen the people hungry. 
He had seen the people thirsty. He saw bread come from heaven. He saw water come from a rock. Everything he needed, he saw leadership. He saw disobedience. Everything he needed was within him because God had prepared him for this place. You see where we come from, where we're headed? There's a preparation for a promise. He's been prepared all the way through. But now it's time to walk in the promise. Psalm 119 verses 36 and 37 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Verse 37 says, Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. There's two prayers there taking place. Change my heart. Change my perspective. Turn my heart away from myself. Dishonest gain there is just as easily translated selfish. God, turn my heart away from my selfish gain and turn my eyes away from vanity or worthless things. We can take that as as far as you want to go. It doesn't have to be sin. It could just be that our eyes are fixed on something other than Jesus that are worthless in the grand scheme of life. Change my heart, change my perspective, and give me courage. Those are three prayers I want us to pray today. Change my heart, change my perspective, and give me courage to do the things that I know to do, but I need courage to do them. Would you pray with me, Father? I love you, Lord. God, I believe that this word was straight for you for these people today. I know it don't come back void, God, but it goes forth as a sword and pierces our hearts. And I pray that in some way, shape, or form, God, that somehow you've done that today. That it's pierced the hearts of somebody and somebody realizes that as a leader, as a man and woman of God, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a coworker. God, we need to be confident of the fact that we're chosen. God, we must realize that we are spirit-filled and we must walk in the power and the authority that comes with the spirit of God living within us. God, and we must have faith and realize that Just a little faith can move a mountain, God. God, but today we need courage. Father, I pray that you would, just as you spoke into Joshua's life, speak directly in our heart, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Because I won't fail you and I'll never forsake you. God, give us courage today. Turn our hearts from ourself, from the dishonest gain, our selfish ways. Give us a change of heart. Let us see your way. Let us see what you would want us to see, God, as you give us a change in perspective. Let us see through your eyes. Let us see what you would want us to see. God, change our hearts, change our eyes. Give us courage. Father, I pray that you bless your people today. Father, I pray that you pour out your blessings on them. You bless us, you keep us. God, let your face shine on us. Be gracious to us. Give us peace. I praise your name, Lord. 
I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.